electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Live from the Nasdaq market site in the heart of New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. Here's what's on tap tonight. A magical ride for Disney. Shares surging as the entertainment giant hikes guidance and slashes losses in its streaming business. The details on the quarter and the headlines from our exclusive interview with CEO Bob Iger. Plus, Shining Solar shares of Enphase seeing their biggest gain since July of 2022. Has the bottom really been put in for the struggling sector? And just how much higher can solar stocks rise? We raise the shades on that trade. And later, ready for a bounce, Dollar General and Bristol Myers have seen shares drop sharply over the past year. But the chartmaster says while shares may be down, they're certainly not out. We'll find out why and if the traders are buying in. I'm Melissa Lee, coming to you live from Studio B at the NASDAQ on the desk tonight. Steve Grasso, Karen Feinerman, Courtney Garcia, and Carter Braxtonworth. And we start off with Disney's big post-earnings bounce. The stock trading at nearly one-year highs after the company made a slew of announcements in its report, including an investment in Epic Games and details on the launch of ESPN's direct-to-consumer product. CEO Bob Iger sitting down with our own Julia Warson for an exclusive interview in just the last hour. She joins us now with the details. Julia. Well, Melissa, Bob Iger calling this a quarter, calling this quarter a turning point. This big earnings beat in guidance of at least 20% growth in earnings per share for the next year, saying it's a testament that this turnaround plan that he's been working on is working. He also announced a partnership and one and a half billion dollar investment in Epic Games to create an immersive game experience with Disney characters and characters from all of its different uh, different IP, including Marvel and Star Wars, alongside Fortnite. I asked. If this progress was enough to address the concerns of activist investor Nelson Peltz. If you look at the results that we just announced and all the things that we're talking about, that is the result of a team that is motivated, that is focused, and now all, all of us are very optimistic. The last thing that we need right now is to be distracted in terms of our time, our energy, by an activist or activists that frankly have a completely different agenda and don't understand our company, its assets, even the essence of the Disney brand. And I think I'll just leave it at that. Iger saying he has no plans to speak with Peltz. I asked him about Disney's new joint venture with Fox and Warner Brothers Discovery to launch a streaming sports bundle this fall. I asked whether it could accelerate cord cutting or cause conflict with their pay TV distributors. Take a listen. We've watched for years the decline of the, basically the linear bundle on cable and satellite. Um, and we've been preparing for a world where that business is not as strong as it used to be. Launching Disney Plus is an example of that, the investments we've made in content, the Fox acquisition, the acquisition, what that did in terms of our ownership of Hulu. All of these things are prepared for us to pivot as well as the world changes, as the world is disrupted. And by the way, I'd rather be a disruptor than to be disrupted. 
And Iger is working on yet another response to that disruption with a new ESPN flagship streaming service that's going to go direct to consumer. He announced that the launch will be as early as August of 2025. Melissa, you can find more from my interview with Iger on CNBC.com. So much news from this exclusive interview, Melissa. Uh, Julia, the target of, of 4Q to fiscal year 2024 profitability for the combined streaming businesses, does that include this new streaming venture? Um, so I don't know if that includes this new streaming venture, but remember that it's not going to be launching until this fall. But the idea about this new streaming venture is it really shouldn't negatively impact profitability. In fact, it should be accretive to profitability. And here's the key thing is that Disney expects to get paid the same amount for ESPN and the other channels that are included in this new streaming joint venture as it would from, say, a regular pay TV provider. So if they're going to be making at least as much as they would if they were, say, offering that same channel through charter spectrum, then they're not going to be losing anything there. The question is whether they could use this joint venture to maybe get some new subscribers who weren't doing anything right now, sort of the cord nevers and the cord cutters. The question I posed to him is whether he thought this would accelerate overall cord cutting of the 55 million um, Americans who are still currently subscribing to a traditional pay TV bundle or some sort of pay TV bundle. Uh, But he said they see this more as an incremental opportunity. All right, Julia, thank you. Julia Borston. We just spoke with Bob Iger. Uh, Karen, I thought your thoughts on the court are really interesting in terms of you should have known this is going to be well, a big pop. I thought when I was saying, I can't believe how stupid I was. That was just kind of <laughs> you and me. But no, I would say it more broadly than that. Yes, this in high, obviously it was a great quarter. A lot, a lot to like here. But just stepping back and looking at, OK, there's this proxy fight. And this is the last earnings call they're going to have before the vote. Probably they want to put their best foot forward and you know, I'm not I'm not insinuating that they massage the numbers, but I am saying that there is a little bit of uh, sort of spin you can put on things. He did a great job in that interview. Julia did an excellent interview. There was a lot to like about it, but I, I am feeling kind of just dumb on that. All the now. directors are going mm-hmm. to be running for reelection. So he's got the three activists. He's got all the directors that, that are going to be running for reelection in their April shareholder meeting. So there's a bunch of stuff that. When Karen says, did they, what was the term you used? Because it's massage, but I, yeah, but I think all, I, I think everyone is always massaging earnings, right? You want to bring everything to the, to the focus, to the front that you want people to focus on. I thought streaming numbers were going to be down because of the news yesterday. Now, when you look at what he's really talking about, he's talking about the buyback. He's talking about Fortnite. I'll be honest, though, my kids play Fortnite. I'm pretty sure Disney characters aren't going to be in the same theme as that. As that. But that's where growth is going with, with Epic Games. So he had to do something with gaming. He had to do something. So as a value investor, how did you feel about the buyback? But I was I mean, it was not that long ago that we were talking about their capital capital structure issues. So to have a big buyback mm-hmm. and well, somewhat uh, three billion, I believe, and then a dividend, which they had, you know, uh, which they had stopped doing for a while. Uh, that's pretty impressive. And they've gotten their balance sheet definitely in much, much better place. Yeah, and I think what's interesting, too, is all eyes were really on streaming. And this came, their earnings were the same day that they come out with this new streaming service. And I think, to your point, that's probably why they came out with this now. They really want that to be the focus. And it's interesting. They actually lost the amount of subscribers in their streaming, but the revenue per subscriber went up as their, as their price went up, which I think is really strong for them. 
And I think that's going to be the shorter term story with Disney, which is really positive. Longer term, they're putting, I think it's like $60 billion over the next decade in their experiences. And we are seeing this trend with consumers where after COVID, this hasn't changed. Everybody still wants to travel and they want to do things. And I think longer term, you're going to see our parks, I think, are going to continue to benefit them. They have this multifaceted business, which I think is still really good for a long term investor. Carter, I think your thoughts on this uh, chart, at least, are, are pretty brief. Because you put out a, a note a while ago and you said you like the shares and, and now you're like, you know what, stick with it. Yeah, you know, sometimes less is more. And so the note put out was Disney, no new thoughts, uh, which is to say uh, the prospects of a bottoming out formation uh, continue not only to be very real, but are developing well. I think what's important about the Disney price action, not so much today in response to the news, is that it went all the way down to its COVID low. So you're talking about a stock that at COVID was $79, rallies all the way to 200, and then just in the past six months, revisited that COVID low, as of course the S&P is going up every day, every week, every month, and then holds those lows. And so this uh, by my work, has all the elements of a bearish to bullish reversal. And so uh, upside uh, remains, while unknown, I think very much the opportunity. And with this kind of uh, post-earnings news-related pop, it just confirms um, that it's right to be long. All right. Um, before we get more on Disney, we do want to get to the big move in ARM Holdings in just the past 10 minutes or so. Shares of the semiconductor company surging as much as about 38 percent now off of those highs after posting a beat in the top and the bottom lines. Company also giving better than expected guidance for Q4. The conference call about nine minutes in right now. Let's get to Christina Parks Nebulous. Who's got details? Christina. Yeah, well, it's the recovery in smartphones really helping ARM Holdings Q3 results given about, what, 40 percent of total revenues comes from mobile. ARM, for those that uh, just need a recap, designs and licensed semiconductor intellectual property. Its technology can be found in everything from smartphones to cars. The company pointing to three main drivers for the beat and improved guidance. Firstly, increased adoption of its new CPU architecture, which sells at a higher royalty price point. So think of it like the blueprint for building CPU chips. Secondly, increased market share in cloud, specifically because of AI and AI efficient systems, as well as increases in auto, something we didn't hear necessarily from other companies like microchip that warned of auto weakness. And then lastly, a recovery in the broader semiconductor market. The call is underway, and I'm just reading right now one line. It's not only smartphones, but they're also seeing strength in other uh, markets like infrastructure. And AI is really driving the momentum. And if you were to compare the, the share price right now of ARM and NVIDIA since September 14th, that would be when ARM IPO'd. You can see the massive, what, 96% increase, in, or the surge is actually higher than NVIDIA, which is not often you can say to beat NVIDIA shares. And so that means right now, ARM's market cap is roughly, give or take, about 100, yeah, over $100 billion, already beating out Micron, if you include after hours trading. Uh, tomorrow, we'll have ARM CEO on CNBC at on Squawk on the Street. Look forward to that. Christina, thank you. Christina parts Nevelis. Already today, we hit a new high in the SMH. Um, we had another data point that is worth pointing out in the chip space, monolithic power, which provides the power management systems to NVIDIA GPUs. They reported had good results and are up in the after hours. It seems like everything is coming up roses and chips, Steve. Well, th- this is, well, last year we touched on the AI element to chips, and that's going to be the next leg, or the, it could be the next five-year leg. But where Christina t- uh, touched on about how much money they get in royalties, and then they start with a CPU structure that's a higher cost than their existing one. They need to have a higher structure because 
they're, they're fixed. They own the whole market. They own, they own smartphones. They own consumer. So they need another chip or another royalty injection, I should say, to do better. When you look at these numbers, do you remember that thing in 2020, NVIDIA tried to buy them for $40 billion? Could you imagine if in, NVIDIA, with all the stuff that we're talking about, NVIDIA runs that market. Now they tried to buy them in 2020 for $40 billion. But remember, SoftBank owns, it was that weird IPO where they still own 90% of the company. So when you look at a pop like this, it took a little bit long to get momentum, but they are 99% of the market share in smartphones. That seems like a, just a crazy outlandish number. And the margins are almost just as outlandish sounding. We were just, mar- I mean, you were pointing yes. that out, and it just sounds insane to say a margin of north of 97%. Right. Well, when you're, you know, licensing revenue yeah. is really, really good, and when you beat by a lot um, on that, uh, that's, it just, it's extraordinary. It's taken a long time, though. I mean, we've had a huge, huge chip, re- not reversal, but more strength, just r- ridiculous strength. NVIDIA is still like two weeks away from plus earnings. from earnings, yeah. right? That's a lot of, like, good news already baked in. Um, I don't know if that it'll reach the top before it almost it's getting to the point where it doesn't matter what they say. Can it be enough? Right. This would be good for them tomorrow. Uh, and so many other ones have been good for them. And are you, you know, shorting NVIDIA? Is that no, what I'm, I'm hearing? Long right and I'm scared. I'm long right. and I'm scared. And I'm so I sold some upside calls. Carter, should she be scared <laughs> for NVIDIA? I mean, you know, of course, when something's just up and to the right, uh, momentum's a powerful force, just as down and to the right, like Pfizer. And usually you don't want to fool with it. If it's in an established downtrend, don't fool with it. And if it's an established uptrend, don't bet against it. But at some point, and we know this to be the case, Tesla was great until it wasn't. Bitcoin was great until it wasn't. You can be full. Forget about you know, expensive, let's use a more sort of nuanced word, full. Is NVIDIA full here? And interestingly, you know, the SOX index, of course, is not an all-time high. Uh, it's below where it was two weeks ago, even though SMH is. And uh, there's nothing wrong with trimming a great winner. Yeah, and we're clearly not seeing all of this euphoria with artificial intelligence ending. I mean, that's definitely part of what you're seeing here with ARM. And I think what's kind of interesting, too, is they have such a um, presence in the mobile space, right, which everybody was expecting to slow down. And I wonder what that's going to mean for mobile in general and the demand going forward to the consumer. Is this actually stronger than we expected? So maybe that's actually a positive sign when you look at the consumer or the overall economy. All right, let's get back to Disney and bring in media industry veteran, former NBC cable president Tom Rogers. He is now the executive chairman at Orbit Gaming and Entertainment. Tom, always great to see you. Great to see you, Melissa. What, what is your take on this new streaming service and whether or not Disney will actually make money from it? Well, this isn't the first time I uh, disagreed with market reaction to a Disney report. Uh, I'm not quite sure what the uh, euphoria is here. They have a struggling streaming business that uh, lost subs, and uh, they still are in a position relative to cutting costs when it comes to its streaming service to at all be at the point that uh, Netflix was with a similar level of revenues to uh, look like it's on a real path to profitability for that business. When it comes to the sports joint venture, I'm not really sure it solves for anything. Um, I think we got to ground ourselves here. There's only 1% of U.S. households that watches more than 12 hours of ESPN a month. And there are only about 10% of U.S. households that watch 
more than six hours of ESPN per month. So the number of super sports fans out there, I think, is uh, overestimated. I think the bigger issue for the sports marketplace right now is where the fan bases are around local sports and the regional sports networks and uh, a huge issue in terms of access and pricing for them. This this doesn't solve for that. The pricing of this, I think, is, well, nobody knows what the price is yet, but what's been out there, I think, uh, doesn't necessarily bode well for, for mass distribution. And then you have what I think are probably going to be a lot of very cumbersome governance issues. Does somebody ha- does everybody get a veto here? Is it by majority vote? Is the NFL going to be in a situation with this independent management that now controls distribution of football in a way that uh, they don't have a direct relationship with an entity that has that kind of distribution cloud in the marketplace? Uh, a lot of issues here that I think are going to be problematic as they really get down to the details. Tongs, Karen, thanks for being on. So about this joint venture, do you, did you think this is sort of a trial balloon or do you think they're far along and they think this is really going to happen? Well, I think that's a great question, Karen, because if I had to guess, if uh, Warner does not get renewal of its NBA rights, I have a hard time seeing this happen. Now, I'm sure Warner entered into this in part to have another revenue stream so it could bid more aggressively for the NBA rights. But if I'm Disney and Fox bringing football to the table, if uh, Turner, which doesn't have football, isn't bringing basketball to the table, even though it does have some other uh, sports, uh, I have a hard time seeing that they're going to give it the cloud in this venture that this this contemplates. Now, I also would think that Comcast, which supposedly has some interest in the NBA package and does have a broadcast network, unlike Warner, uh, could easily disrupt this thing in terms of uh, binning the Warner-Turner uh, package away from it and uh, Comcast NBC getting NBA rights. And I think if that happened in lieu of Warner getting those rights, there's a good chance this might not come together. So, Tom, when you look at the earnings and you look at how he came out, he was so loaded for bear. It was just one thing after another, a litany of, of, of processes that he was going through. Do you think that that headline yesterday about this bundle and do you think the way he came out so repetitive and acted strong? Obviously, the, your, your first comments were it wasn't that great of a report. Are we just looking at him just talking to the activists at this point? Was that what this was all about? Well, they delivered cost cutting, which delivered a nice earnings pop. But, it, you know, they're they're light on top line growth. And when you're, uh, you're 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 not only facing a linear traditional TV advertising problem where all the major media companies are facing downdrafts there. But look at Hulu, Hulu. The grandfather of advertising in the streaming space, as everybody is turning their attention to advertising in the streaming space, but it had a huge head start with all this streaming advertising inventory as Netflix, Max, et cetera, are just building up ad-supported households. And ad revenue was down last year. It was down again this quarter in Hulu, and ad rates were down. 
So there are fundamental issues here in the strength of a streaming business, which is really what market has to look at in terms of reinventing this company. I do think the move to gaming was an important one. Look, kids spend more time with gaming than they do TV. How does a kids and family company not have a greater position in gaming? Smart move. We'll see what comes to it. As he said, there's a, a lot yet to come. But on the on the joint venture with sports, I was co-chairman of A&E History for 10 years, which was an NBC-ABC joint venture. And I'll tell you, the reason that one worked is we didn't have any competitive entities. Iger on that call was talking up ESPN streaming standalone relative to this new sports joint venture. When you have competitive issues that, it, that misalign you with others in the venture, very tough for it to work. Yeah. Tom, thank you. Tom Rogers. Coming up, we'll break down the record-setting day on Wall Street, plus more earnings, shares of PayPal and Wynn Resorts, both on the move after reporting. We'll bring you the details out of the quarters next. And Enphase finding its place in the sun on the back of its results. Could the dark days be over for this one? That is coming up. This is Fast Money with Melissa Lee, right here on CNBC. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge, and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to Fast Money, an earnings alert on Wynn Resorts, a casino operator jumping after hours. On a top and a bottom line beat, Contessa Brewer joins us from Las Vegas with the details. Contessa. Yeah, what a quarter here, Melissa. As you said, beating the top and bottom line, the expectations in, in, will be in Boston, in Vegas, in Macau. In fact, Wynn Resorts set an all-time quarterly record for EBITDA. And in Las Vegas, that's particularly notable because it was a tough comp. They had set a record last year this time. On the call, CEO Craig Billing said F1 was a significant contributor in November and that it just demonstrates that Wynn is setting the standard in Las Vegas for luxury guests. He conveyed lofty expectations for February results, too, with Super Bowl. You can see the stadium right over my shoulder. Chinese New Year, the strong convention calendar. He said that they have been programming the heck out of this place. His words. 
and you can see it's paying off. In Macau, Billing said Wynn is seeing structurally higher margins that are re- less reliant on the VIP segment, which he called volatile. But again, Melissa, what you're seeing is that investors really have not given Wynn credit for the reopening in Macau at all, much less the rebound that they've been seeing the shares going into the earnings report down year over year. Contessa, thank you. Contessa Brewer. You hear the headlines out of China about a consumer that's strapped, a consumer that's under pressure, a consumer that's lost a lot of money in real estate. You don't think about revival in Macau, and yet that's what we're seeing. Yeah, and I think it's the same kind of story you're seeing here, where they're getting that higher-end consumer. It's the person who's really not struggling as much, unfortunately, with the economy, and that's who they're benefiting from. So I think long-term, that's going to continue to benefit when you look at Macau. Short term, I think Vegas is really interesting. I mean, they had just had F1, which clearly helped them last quarter. Now we have the Super Bowl coming in, which is definitely going to affect them now. So you're getting these, again, those higher income earners who are coming into the space. And that, that's one of the places they're going to go. So I think it's something that's going to continue to improve here. So I'm along Las Vegas. And Las Vegas, you get Singapore, you get Macau, and you get Singapore. And MGM, uh, MGM, you get Vegas. Mm-hmm. When you get a slice of Vegas and you get Macau. So I cut out some of the noise. I like having Singapore. Oddly enough, Las Vegas doesn't have any exposure in Las Vegas anymore. So I'm, I'm banking on just price uh, reversion to mean here on, on the space. But I think Macau is too much of a variable to really play this long. No one has any clue what Macau is going to do. So I throw in Singapore. It helps me mitigate my risk. All right. Meantime, markets jumping today with the S&P getting within a tenth of a point of the milestone 5,000 level. The S&P as well as the Dow both closing at new highs. The Nasdaq, which led the gains up nearly a percent, closing at its highest level in more than two years. Markets seeming to breathe a sigh of relief after this uh, afternoon's 10-year bond auction. The Treasury selling a record $42 billion of 10-year notes at a lower than expected yield. Were these uh, results uh, an all-clear sign for stocks? I mean, this was a concern. We had four straight months of just not very well-received auctions, Karen. And so here we were. We're like, ah, thank goodness. Yeah, kind of. For a very <laughs> right for a very big auction, it could have gone differently, which would have been terrible for the market. So that is one sort of uh, obstacle that we passed, which is very good. Yeah, Carter. I hate to ask you this question because I feel like I know the answer or the answer you're going to give me. Is 5,000 significant? No, no. I mean, there's this whole <laughs> round number magnet thing. But, I mean, that's arbitrary. Just as is December 29th any different than Jan 4th? A year end is a year end. 4 p.m., the ball stops at a certain time and calendar years. Year to date, does that mean anything? If it's three days into the year, it means something if it's 11 months. And a lot of this stuff is what it is. But what is notable, of course, is that since data has been tracked going back to 1990, 1991, Wall Street as an entity, as a group, strategists have never once predicted a down year. Every year they call for higher. It's the nature of the sell side. They're called sell side because they're selling. And um, we have a curious circumstance. We're quite close to the year-end price target from Wall Street major banks and brokers, even though the year has barely begun. You know, it's funny that Carter says that you would think the sell side wants the market higher, but we've seen some strategists not mentioning any names from the sell side that's been out here pounding the table that markets were going lower this year. If you look at all Mizuho put out put out this piece where all their year end price targets is right around where we're at right now. So either the market's going to readjust and we're going to have a roller coaster year again and we're going to finish off here or they're grossly underestimating where the market can go. I think, yes, it's a big, round, fat number, but I think it's important because then that becomes the floor in the market, a quasi-floor. And not not a ceiling? 
Why, no, no once you – well, it's always the same, right? It's, it's a ceiling until you blast through it, right? It's resistance until it becomes support. So once you blast through it, then everyone's talking about where are we going to be. Plus, let's not forget, we're in election year cycle now. So if I think the back half of the year, there's going to be a lot of stuff thrown at the market to increase the value of risk assets. There's a lot more Fast Money to come. Here's what's coming up next. Grab some sunscreen. These Enphase rays are coming in hot. The solar stock ripping after earnings. But it wasn't the quarterly numbers that had shares feeling the heat. Why this name won't let the sun go down on your portfolio. Plus, the latest on the regional fallout. New York Community Bank continuing its slide. Has more downgrades filter in? The impact on the financial space and the effects resonating through the market ahead. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of Enphase Energy topping the tape today. The stock's surging despite reporting a miss on sales and earnings. Uh, the company's CEO saying falling interest rates will help boost demand for solar installations and predicting the industry will bottom out this quarter. Shares up nearly 17 percent, their best day since July 2022. Um, are there any bombed out stocks poised for a bounce here? And how about... Enphase itself, Karen. What, what did you make of this? Well, so we know, remember, Solar Edge, which got absolutely yeah. annihilated this year on supply, you know, excess supply. So obviously that's terrible for pricing. Demand was coming in. Solar Edge had a lot more European exposure than Enphase, which is just sort of starting in Europe. So um, that was good. If it is bottoming out, that's great. But as the CEO said, if you look at the chart of this versus interest rates, lower rates is clearly better for the whole space. Yeah, for yeah, sure. For and, sure. I, I mean, that was right. one reason Steve Eisman was so down on the space, because anything that had that interest rate component where the consumer in particular had to have low rates in order to make right. that deal happen. He was not positive on this was one of them. Curious <laughs> where he stands on this right now. Um, but, Courtney, Oppenheimer upgraded Enphase, was more optimistic that inventories should mm-hmm. iron out in the second half of the year. Do you think it's time for for solar or is that still too risky in your view? Uh, not too risky, but maybe still a little bit more expensive. Um, mm-hmm. But I do think what I see in this is that it is showing that interest rates are expected to come down. That's why it's doing so well. Everyone's talking the second half of this year. We just saw with the Treasuries earlier today coming in um, at a lower price than people were expecting is why consumer or investors are still believing that interest rates are coming down this year. So is it going to be March? Probably not at this point. I guess we'll see if that comes back on the table. But ultimately, that's going to be good for any interest rate sensitive stocks. Solar is one of those because it is something that consumers are going to have to leverage up to get it. So if interest rates come down, that will benefit them over the long run. And plus, we're closer to rate cuts than we are to rate hikes. Let's hope, right, for the, for the market's mm-hmm. sake. Mm-hmm. But when you look at these two stocks, I'm not sure we showed the year performance on them. But Enphase is down 50 yeah. percent for the year. And then Solar Edge is down 76 yeah. percent. But if you look at First Solar, that one has actually outperformed in the space, it's been so long since we actually focused on on solar it's stocks. Much less residential. M- much much less, and then it's 
when you have oil as cheap as it is, I get back to that election year cycle, even though rate dependent, if oil is cheap, then you don't get pushed into EVs and you don't get pushed into solar. And we are in an election year cycle. I think oil remains low. So this whole thing got us thinking, are there any other bombed out stocks poised for a bounce like Enphase? Carter will be laying out his picks later on in the show, the names that could pop your portfolio. That's straight ahead. And speaking of beat up names, New York Community Bank still reeling after last week's earnings disaster. So with downgrades coming left and right, can we expect any trouble in the broader banking space? More on the potential ripple effect next. Missed a moment of fast? Catch us anytime on the go. Follow the Fast Money Podcast. We're back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. The Dow and S&P both closing at record highs with the S&P just points away from hitting the 5,000 level and the Nasdaq leading the major indices up nearly 1%. Shares of CVS getting a bump today up about 3% after the pharmacy chain beat on the top and the bottom lines, but the company cut its full year outlook as higher medical costs weigh in the broader insurance space. CVS still down about 4% so far this year, um, but it got beat up over the same stuff from yep. its competitors. So here we are, Karen, is right. it over? Again Flush and again, through. remember also in the healthcare card, the prescription benefit cards, and, mm-hmm. and, and then we saw Humana, and then, um, and so they too here had a medical loss ratio higher than they thought, but it wasn't as bad as it had been priced in by the prior hits to the stock. And actually, so people were pretty relieved that next year's cut to earnings was only eight from uh, as low as 830. Um, it was 850. They thought 8.30 would be the low. Makes it not an expensive stock, but I don't own it. All right. Turning now to New York Community Bank Corp. Shares jumping almost 7% today after announcing a new chairman. The stock, though, is still down more than 50% this year. Meanwhile, credit card debt hit more than $1 trillion at the end of last year. According to a report out yesterday, that's almost 60% more than the year before. For more on what this could all mean for the markets, let's bring in Andy Constant. He's the CEO of Damp Spring Advisors. Andy, great to see you. Great um, to see you too, Melissa. You know, the reaction to New York Community Bancorp seems to be fairly contained. There was not too much reaction when it came to any sort of move in yields, like a flight to safety. Um, there's not that sort of, uh, you know, fear of a flight uh, of deposits out of banks. Um, are we past the worst of it? Yeah. So, I mean, to borrow a phrase from a friend on Twitter, policymakers have been acting to stabilize the market, banking system and economy as if each were a child's Tamagotchi. Treasury announced large bond offerings in the summer, only to reverse on Halloween when bond markets sold off 100 basis points. The Fed focused us on real Fed funds in December, and markets extrapolated to a complete pivot and a beginning of a cutting cycle, which the Fed is now aggressively walking back as financial conditions ease. Just 11 months ago, equity markets fell dramatically as Silicon Valley Bank and others collapsed, but with New York's community bank in stress, markets are confident that the policymakers will have their back. If you look at issuance shifts, rate forward, path forward guidance, Forex repo, reverse repo, and QT taper talk, you can see heavy intervention to keep things on the path to a soft landing. We may get there, but clearly with a 4.1% 10-year, a buoyant equity market, and an economy with GDP running above 3% for going on three quarters in a row, the policy stance is not restrictive. That bodes well for stocks over bonds, but stock mm-hmm. markets are being led by a scant few names. Yeah. Um, Tamagotchi, those are those little tiny 
like Digital toys pets. Yeah. and you like feed yeah, them little, and yeah. all that. Okay. Children and if you to, don't, they die. Oh yeah. Children I used to need to be care. <laughs> you need to care for them. So right, right. there's this care going on. Yeah. I was just and thinking of this, the legions of viewers out there who have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> just wanted to clarify. Um, in terms of your positioning, you said stocks over bonds. Is that reflected in your own portfolio? Yeah, um, I think there's a chance that this exuberant. Well, let's step back for a second. On Friday, there's a very big number coming out, and mm -hmm. it's not something that people follow. It's a fairly esoteric thing. But the Fed has mentioned it extensively, and that is the revisions to the CPI. And if those revisions, which are on the seasonal factors, show that the progress that has been made to, in the last three to six months on inflation was revised to not being progress, I think markets broadly can uh, struggle a lot. Um, on the other hand, if, those inflation, if the inflation target continues to uh, show this progress, um, you know, equities should do fairly well. Bonds still seem extremely rich, given the very large supply that was announced last week and the broad um, likelihood that uh, taper is going to be delayed. So, yeah, I prefer equities over bonds. I'm short bonds. Andy, it's Karen. Thanks for being on. So the, the auction that we had today, which went well, a very, uh, the biggest auction ever, right? D does that give you any comfort that the amount of bonds that the Treasury needs to sell can be absorbed? Or is this only one data point and you don't read much into it? You know, it's one data point. I think you have to look at the uh, term premium that currently is priced into bonds that make them, frankly, unattractive relative to cash. The very steep yield inverted yield curve that makes levering for carry trades unattractive. And it's one of these things where if there's enough supply, um, which has to be absorbed, and that's $500 billion of net coupon new issuance every quarter for as long as the eye can see, based on their most recent quarterly refunding announcement, the pressure for bonds to you know, increase in yield from 25 to 50 basis points on the long end is there. Any one day, it could be random. And the NYCB um, bank situation is creating some demand for bonds in the very short term. Andy, got to let you go. Great to see you as always. Andy Constant Thanks. of Damped Spring. All right. So, uh, Courtney, what's your take on NYCB? And are you concerned about some broader issues in the sector? Um, no. And I think when you look at NYCB, what's kind of interesting is regulators basically engineered the, them taking these assets from Signature Bank. And so there is some concern with what's going to happen with commercial real estate. But I think it would be surprising when they had them buy these assets to not have their back if something were to happen with them. And they have come out to show they have ample liquidity above and beyond what they need here. So I think a lot of this is really just headline risk. And I don't see this as an issue with the broader space. Um, yes, when you're looking in real estate, Commercial real estate is going to be the area that's likely going to be lagging. And I think that's why, especially in the real estate sector, what this is telling us is you want to have things like data centers and other sectors of the real estate. But it's not necessarily something I'm concerned about when you look at the, the regional banks by any means. Carter, was today's bounce in NYCB mean, meaningful at all, given how much the stock has declined in just the past couple of weeks? No, of course, because once you're in sort of uncharted territory, which is to say there's a great question as to not about value, but could it get a lot worse? Could it go out of business? Could it bounce a lot? Um, you get bounces and then resumption of weakness. It's just a gambling chip day to day. There, there is no technique known, or at least let me say it this way, that I know of to say, hey, we should short this, we should buy this. It's just a day trading affair. Mm -hmm.
Are you surprised at how much decline, given what Courtney said in terms of the a Fed backstop? It traded for a while, at least until today, as if there was no backstop. Yeah, uh, I guess that's the case. I don't know if how much was shorting, right? Mm-hmm. And and ultimately being it covered after the. I mean, that this morning it was really trading terribly, and it was probably pretty scary for them. So I don't know if that's when shorts covered. I'm just sort of staying away from the whole thing. Coming up, another earnings alert. This one on PayPal. The stock dropping after hours. We'll dive into the results right after this. Plus, this stock has missed out on the market rally over the past year, but the chart master says things are about to change. We'll find out what it is. Have him lay out his case. There are some notable names of black CEOs in the Fortune 500, including TIAA chief Tashunda Brown-Duckett, Marvin Ellison at Lowe's, and the latest edition of Tony Towns Whitley, who joined the Science Application International Corporation in October. They're among the eight CEOs in the Fortune 500 who are black. That's less than 2% of the list. Still, it's a record number. Celebrating black heritage, I'm Sharon Epperson. Welcome back to Fast Money. An earnings alert on PayPal. Shares of the company down after the close despite beating the street's expectations on the top and the bottom lines. Guidance and account growth disappointing investors uh, in weighing on the stock. That call is going on right now. Kate Rooney's got the details. Kate. Hey, Mel. Yeah, it's all about earnings guidance for PayPal. It's been weighing on shares after hours. PayPal did not give a forecast when it comes to revenue or for payment volume. That omission is raising some alarm bells for analysts, at least that I'm talking to. Plus, PayPal is seeing a slowdown in accounts amid more competition out there. PayPal had 426 million active accounts at the end of last year. That's about a million short of expectations. It was down 2% year over year. They did start to disclose monthly active users, but there is no comp for that. Uh, PayPal also looking for full year EPS on the earnings side, $5.10. That was 38 cents below expectations for the street. Q1 EPS growth also missed payment volume, operating margins, and take rate did beat for the quarter, but Branded checkout was also light. I talked to CEO Alex Chris about that forecast. He said, we're being conservative in the guidance. He said, we want to see points on the board, as he put it, and want to actually execute before we start putting anything into our forward guidance there. He just said on the earnings call that's going on right now, he said PayPal needs to, quote, build back a track record of delivering on our commitments, really trying to underline that change happening. And he calls it a transition year for PayPal, although he was also just asked about when that's going to start showing up with guidance. He wouldn't give an answer on that, Mel. Back over to you. Kate, thanks. Kate Rooney, Steve. When you look at the stock, it's out of growth ideas. That's the way what investors are looking at this as. If you go back, remember when they tried to buy Pinterest? That was back in October of 2021. The stock was trading at $270. The only good news is that this October, when the market started to rip higher, it looks like it bottomed out around the $50 level. So I think people are just rolling the dice, but there's definitely an issue with growth. Where are they getting that growth from going forward? Coming up, can any stocks follow the end phase example? The chartmaster has his picks for some rundown names that could see a reversal of the technical tail on the stocks. Next, more Fast Money in Two. Welcome back to Fast Money. Even with the S&P 500 closing in on 5,000, not all stocks have gotten in on the rally. The chartmaster is laying out two beaten down names that could be poised for a pop. Carter, take it away. So uh, two names, and we can get right to the charts. But the setup is this. Each is a great long-term winner. 
that has had trouble over the past 12 months. So dollar general, uh, talk about a great long-term winner. You see the well-defined uptrend, but the massive break in trend. And now we're starting to throw back. Uh, let's look at the short-term chart of Dollar General. And what you'll see here is something that's just now, it's up some 40% off its low, but that's the same as the S&P. But there's so much room to run to get back to former highs. The other, Bristol-Meyer, completely different, a big healthcare name. It also a long-term uh, big winner, but it has held trend. And this current sell-off, down some 35% from its peak, if we look at the short-term chart, it's starting to show a slight sequence change. It's a downtrend, to be clear, since 80. But a downtrend is defined as a series of well-defined lower highs and lower lows. And yet we've put in a slight double bottom. And so we're making a bet that this is going to move higher, not lower from here. Courtney, would you take either of these? I would. Yeah, really what's happened is coming into the year, I thought there was going to be a broadening of, broadening of the rally, but it's only gotten smaller, right? The MAG-7 is based around five companies, and now about a quarter um, of the S&P 500. And that's where I think you really want to start to look at some of these beaten up names. So you're, you're outside of your tech companies. Um, I do really like some of the healthcare space. So that's where I think a Bristol-Myers could really work in your favor. How about you, Karen? Well, I was going to ask Carter if I can. Sure. You can okay. bring him back. I'll bring him back. He's not he a really leave. He's, so, he's, yeah. Carter, a couple of weeks ago you were here and talked about Pfizer as one of them that just, I mean, it's a similar chart to, to Bristol, but worse. Um, <laughs> I say that because I'm not because I'm long, but it's true. That's why. Um, I am long, and I was wondering on the chart basis, what do you think of Pfizer? I know you've looked at it. So, in yeah, it's bad technique what I'm doing in the Bristol-Myers, meaning usually you want to start to base and bottom. And and, and we see an Estee Lauder, then one day it can come to life, or an end phase, a big downtrend, and one day it can come to life. Intel was a Pfizer or worse, and it surely came to life. And so the timing is very hard, and sometimes you get it very close to the bottom. Sometimes you're early, which is wrong, and it goes lower. But at some point, we know that Pfizer, uh, to your point, or at least I think that's the intimation, will finally stop going down. And so the idea is when you're speculating and something's in a downtrend, if you want to break the rules and do something that's usually bad technique, do it small. Okay. <laughs> Up next, final trade. Final trade time, Carter Braxton Worth. Neo Group, private prison operator, or buyers for a breakout. Uh -huh. That's funny. Karen. <laughs> yes. If you are long NVIDIA, sell some upside calls on this arm strength tomorrow. Courtney. Disney. Um, I actually like some of their earnings reports. I think it's something you want to own for the long term. I, I want to make sure you have in your portfolio. Steve. Now, who's the worst messenger on the street in the large cap tech space? Alphabet. They're terrible. I'm long the stock. They've got to figure out their message. Alphabet. Thanks for watching Fast Money. See you back here tomorrow at 5. Mad Money starts right now. All opinions expressed by the Fast Money participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Fast Money participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Fast Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Fast Money Disclaimer. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, 
AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now.